welcome to The Systemic Way. In today's episode, we're meeting with two of the authors of the book, Psychotherapeutic Competencies, Techniques, Relationships and Epistemology in Systemic Practice. There are actually three authors of the book, but for today, we're going to be speaking to Laura Frigeri and Francesca Balestra. The third author is Elena Venturelli. Laura is a psychologist and psychotherapist and former professor of psychology of family relationship at the University of Parma. Currently, she is the director of the Bologna Centre of Family Therapy and has been extensively teaching in the UK, Europe and North and South America for more than three decades. She's the author of more than 100 publications in Italian, English, French, Spanish, Danish and German. Francesca is a psychologist and psychotherapist. She is a family therapist, a researcher and a trainer at the Bologna Centre of Family Therapy. Her research interests are focused on communicative and interactive processes between the therapist and client in psychotherapeutic sessions. Elena is a psychologist and psychotherapist, adjunct professor of psychology of family relationships at the University of Parma and a researcher and trainer at the Bologna Center of Family Therapy. Laura and Francesca were able to join us, Cesar, weren't they, to discuss their book and we were honored to have them on because their passion and excitement and enthusiasm and the relationship between them really brought this book to life. Yeah, thank you, Julie. It was a, it was a great opportunity to, to dive into the book, wasn't it? Should I give a little bit of a kind of an overview of the, the chapters of the book and what we try to really dive into? So it begins with an introduction to specific and common factors of psychotherapy. Then it looks at the different levels of competency that they outline. These are technical competencies, relational competency, epistemological competency, and the fourth being the social dimension of psychotherapy. So we, we attempt to talk about each element and how they apply to psychotherapy. What really stood out for me, Julie, was that these competencies, even though it's described as in systemic practice, they're really about competencies in all of the psychotherapy field. And it really talks about the relational aspect of it and working with people. And it's a, I think it's a, such an important book for the field that people from all different modalities would be able to learn from. And really, a, I think a, a, a seminal, integral book to the development of family therapy. Something that I think anyone who works in this in, in this field should should read. And pleasure. What was something that stood out for you, June? Yeah, thanks, Cesar. I, I think one of the things that we always really appreciate when we speak to people, and I think Laura and Francesca did it so nicely, was that there's sort of case studies, and they they really bring the competencies to life. And I think it's a, it's that's in the book and it's lovely to hear them also talking about it. I also just wanted to share because I think it's so lovely is John Burnham what what he's shared about the book which is that psychotherapeutic competencies is an appetizing addition to the menu of psychotherapy appealing to many palates. Traditional dishes from systemic practice hypothesizing curiosity and questions are refreshed and enhanced by contemporary flavors of therapeutic relationships and spiced by research and evidence and I just love that sort of use of, com- of talking about it in terms of food because there's something of all 
the colours and ingredients that you really get to hear in the voices of Laura and Francesca and I really hope people enjoy the episode. Welcome, Francesca and Laura, to The Systemic Way. Thank you for inviting us. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. I know that um, today we're going to be talking with you about a book that you wrote called Psychotherapeutic Competencies, Techniques, Relationships and Epistemology in Systemic Practice. But before we do a deep dive into that, it would be really lovely to hear from both of you a little bit, perhaps, about your professional background and context. Laura, would you like to start? Okay. So I've been... uh, I've been a a professor at the university. I've taught uh, for many years uh, family relationship, uh, psychology of family relationship, and social psychology. But I've always been, uh, for a long, long time, uh, both teacher and uh, uh, psychotherapist, uh, uh, family psychotherapist. And uh, we have a center, we have been having a training center for many years already. Uh, I was trained with Luigi Boscolo and Gianfranco Cecchin. And uh, we have collaborated for the until you know they they died. And um, uh, now I'm uh, a the director of uh, the center. We have a four year uh, training course, uh, and uh, at the end of it, uh, the the students have uh, the specialization in psychotherapy. Okay. Uh, another part of my curriculum that I like to the people know, because I think it's very much part of my uh, way of being in, uh, in psychotherapy, is that uh, I uh, actually started working in psychiatry and um, I, I participated into the movement that closed down the psychiatric hospital in Italy. So this is like the three, you know, part of my curriculum that I think are, uh, that came together and came together also into the book. That is the part, uh, uh, you know, about uh, working uh, against uh, the institutionalization and the oppression of the psychiatric patient on one way, on the way all the part of family therapy and and systemic therapy and the part of being an academic, which I also think is a very important part of my curriculum. Thank you, Laura. Laura, what's the name of the institution? Uh, In Italy, it's Centro Bolognese di Terapia della Famiglia, Mm -hmm. which is, uh, you know, Bolognese means in Bologna, the center in Bologna for family therapy. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And I noticed, Francesca, you could you said Laura, so should we call you? Yeah. <laughs> yes, I know. I did the English, so I'm going to go Laura. I will remember that going forward. Thank That's you. a good pronunciation. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And so 
Thank you. That was a really lovely frame around where we're heading in the conversation. And Francesca, love to hear from you as well. Yeah, um, I will start. I would like to say that I met Laura when I was a university student and she really inspired me from the beginning. I really admired her complexity, the complexity of her thinking and uh, her precise and clear way of explaining things. So, um, I started to work with her as soon as it has been possible. And now I am a systemic psychotherapist. And uh, I am also a trainer at the uh, program for therapists at the Centro Bolognese of Terapia della Famiglia. And I have a PhD in psychology. Um, I've done my PhD with Laura. We have been working on therapeutic conversations. So this was my first uh, research interest, uh, therapeutic conversations and uh, then uh, therapeutic alliance and the process of change during conversation. Um, other research interest uh, came up uh, during the years. And among these, uh, there are the um, psycho psychological aspects of long distance family relationship and multi-professional networks. And uh, as a therapist, I also do private practice uh, in individual, couple and family setting. And she's a teacher of the Centro Bolognese di Terapia della Famiglia. Yes. Wow. So we had been working together for a long, long time already, because uh, I mean, it was uh, you know the beginning was the the uh, graduation uh, dissertation and the post graduation and then the specialization, and we have been working for a long time together. And working very hard. You sound very, very busy. <laughs> <laughs> and and we have to remind Elena Venturelli, who is the third author of the book, and uh, we have to say that we all, we together we are like a team. <laughs> Could you tell us a little bit around the kind of the, the the coming together of this book and yeah how it started, where the idea started, what why you wanted to write this book at, at this time. Well, as you can imagine, uh, we have been working together for many years. And so um, we always share, the, the three of us, I mean, we always share a lot of ideas and experiences. And then this book uh, um, came about during the peer supervisory sessions. So uh, we, we, we talk about our clinical situation, uh, also the difficult one, uh, the clinical situation where we do not know what to do. And then talking about these, uh, these difficulties and the way to overcome this impasse situation, we start thinking about what kind of you know, ability, what kind of reflection we have to do on this situation to, to find something new. And then uh, we, we start thinking about this idea, maybe we should write a book. 
to to you know deepen this analysis. Yeah, because it was actually doing this, uh, you know, peer supervision sessions that um, we realized that most of the time the 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 think the reflection that helped us to like uh, take a, a a creative a generative position in the cases were not necessarily technical you know uh, devices it was more like we realized that it was more like when we all together and thanks to our conversation could take a different perspective on the cases so it's then that we started to realize that what we were doing about the cases that we felt you know were difficult what we were doing was not really think in terms of a new hypothesis, a new question, a different question, a different hypothesis, but it was more an analysis of the process of therapy and of us in it. That's how we realized that we were developing like, uh, uh, or even we were needing you know, in order to deal with these very daunting cases, we had the need for a different type of competency, which was more related to the ability of monitoring the process of therapy instead of what to do with the client. And and, and this is what leads us also, uh, Francesca, I think, uh, to, to our idea of uh, drawing the distinction between first order and second order um, competencies, actually. Maybe you want to talk about that. Yes, yes, because it was not only, um, you know, the, the, the idea was not only to find uh, the right uh, um, hypothesis, the right intervention, the useful intervention. Uh, that was not only us in front of the client trying to, uh, you know, recognize uh, patterns of interaction inside the system and so on. Um, that is to say, uh, we we thought it was necessary not, not only to um, reflect upon technical competency, uh, but also to reflect uh, upon the the process. So, and we call this a second order uh, competency because um, it requires to the therapist to reflect on what the therapist is co-constructing with the clients. So what's going on in the therapeutic process? And of course, different things are going on in the therapeutic process. Uh, this means that uh, second order competencies are different. Uh, there is the relational competency, uh, that is the, the, the ability to recognize uh, the different positions that uh, therapists and clients are taking inside that kind of conversation uh, and what are the meanings that they are co-constructing within that conversation. But there is also an, what we call the epistemological competency, that is the ability to reflect upon our premises, 
in order to introduce differences, different uh, visions inside the, the, the context of conversation and also the context uh, sensitivity because of course we have to uh, always think about the social position that we have in front of our clients and also their social position. And so these are the second order competencies that we um, think were necessary in order to reflect uh, in, in a different way upon these situations, these clinical situations. We made this distinction that we think is very important because um, while the technical competency is typical of each model of, of a specific approach, these other competencies that we call second-order competency, being them related to the process, we think they should be like, you know, uh, cross-models competencies in a way. Mm -hmm. So no matter what is your approach, I think that uh, taking the position of reflecting on the relationship that you are constructing with the client, you know, that is something that happens always. It doesn't depend on the model. It depends on the fact that uh, psychotherapy is an encounter, you know, which uh, uh, happens uh, in a context you know, an encounter between two or more people, which happens in a context which is not only interpersonal, but is also social. So, um, for example, the idea of uh, that uh, Francesca was mentioning of being sensitive to the context, to us means also being sensitive to the social and cultural position that we and our clients take in our encounter. Now, this is also something that is not related to the model that you choose. It's related to the fact that the psychotherapy is this very complex, uh, you know, meeting of people that are also somehow located in a social and cultural context. So um, uh, we that's why we say second order because it's, it's it's something that you have to learn on top of uh, the model that you uh, learn. We have to say that uh, the systemic view helps <laughs> to take this position <laughs> because, of course, it is a premise of the systemic view that uh, people, when meet, uh, you know, construct meaning. But the point is, the, 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 the passage is this, that is not only the patient and uh, their significant ones that construct meaning when they relate one to the other. It's also us with our clients that do this, you know. So is this like, Let's move to this kind of perspective. What do we do with our clients? So that's what, uh, you know, Francesco was saying, you know, reflecting on, on uh, exactly the, 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 the meaning that we build together, you know, in, uh, in the encounter, which is not necessarily connected to the technical uh, moves of the therapist. 
thank you. I, I was just in my head. I just wanted to check because I think there's something I, if I'm understanding correctly, um, or going along the right lines of what your aim with this book and what it's offering is, um, is thinking in terms of to, for, for effective psychotherapy for that to work, that the importance of the relationship with that, and that that's the that's the that's what you're focusing on with these competencies of really breaking that down. I don't know if I've got that right. Oh yes, you you yeah. you did you did. Actually, you know, we have also uh, we think uh, mm-hmm. we connect also with all the research done on the. Um, result of psychotherapy, you know, and so uh, to summarize the, the the research on this on the outcome, what do they say? They say that the most effective therapists are those who, you know, are able to create a good alliance, but not only that, that do not impose their beliefs because they are respectful of uh, the, the the others that monitor, you know, the client change together with the client, which means in a dialogical, uh, you know, uh, position, and uh, are aware of their internal process. Now, if you think of all these aspects, this means that the effective therapist is able not only to, you know, try to help the client, with all the technique that, uh, you know, uh, we learn in our training. But also, you know, the relationship is important, but also I think how the therapist is able to reflect uh, on him or herself, not just for an introspective, uh, you know, or um, aim, we think that it is important to do that to be able to realize what position is taking in in the in the process we need to reflect on our own you know premises in order to realize what we the position we take in the process and how we contribute to the process so actually yes you know julie is that you know that uh, Relationship is important. Being able, self-reflexivity is important, uh, and uh, as I was saying before, the awareness of uh, the the social aspect implied in a psychotherapeutic encounter. So, what what we tried to do was, you have to think that besides the fact that we are therapists, we are teachers. So, another question that was in our mind, you know, when we started reflecting on these ideas, was also how can we teach this to our students? So that was the the reason of the book in a way, you know. How can this, that we thought, you know, was so such an interesting perspective that we were taking on our own psychotherapists, it was also how can we teach this? Mm-hmm. How can we explain it? How can we operationalize it? And also, Francesca, <clears throat> I think that we should mention the fact that uh, 
you know, we've been involved lately uh, by colleagues asking, you know, uh, whether we uh, are willing to manualize or not, you know, these competencies. And so we are also, uh, you know, we have, we have reflected and we are still reflecting you know, on, on this issue. You know, how should we, you know, teach? Is it possible to, is it right to manualize this? Uh, and uh, we have a, I don't know, Francesca, maybe you want to talk about that. Uh, yeah, um, the, the, this is an issue because uh, <laughs> I think. Well, I know that you, you are very eager to, <laughs> to address this issue. <laughs> uh, yes, because the, the, the question, uh, how can we teach uh, this, uh, um, how, how do we teach uh, uh, psychotherapy given this complexity and without reducing it? And so manualizing is, is the answer that uh, many colleagues are, are uh, are taking, you know, to, to teach psychotherapy. And of course, manualizing is very useful. But we, uh, we think that maybe it's not useful to teach that part of competencies that has to do with the unpredictable part of psychotherapy, that is what happens during psychotherapy, why you are, uh, you know, applying your techniques, uh, doing your questions, uh, something happens and uh, you cannot know it in advance. Uh, so it is impossible to manualize what uh, happens during a psychotherapeutic encounter. Um, so we start thinking, thinking that maybe um, manualize is not the, the the right way to say what we are trying to do with second order competencies and we thought that maybe we can talk about recognize something recognize uh, some pattern of interaction recognize some uh you know co-creation of relational context the co-creation of meaning being able to reflect upon these different issues while you are inside the context of conversation with your clients and well, francesca i think we should say that uh, you know for for this reason, you know, for the idea that people should be able to recognize uh, situations, just to have the possibility, you know, to recognize what's happening without uh, foreseeing it. That's why in the book we wrote a lot of examples. Yes, because. Uh, just to show, you know, what can happen. It can happen this, it can happen this, it can happen this, you know. And so it's like be prepared that something like that could happen. But you don't know that it is going to happen. You are able, you should be able to recognize when it happens. So yeah. that's the 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 work that Francesca is doing, you know, about uh, Francesca and Elena are now working on, uh, you know, describing all the possible context uh, of meaning that uh, an encounter can uh, 
you know, can happen. Yeah. Um, I'm really interested in us kind of really thinking about the different um, competencies, the four different competencies that you kind of outline and focus on in the book. But maybe, maybe before we kind of get there, right, I guess I'm um, I'm interested in how this kind of this book and this approach to competencies and teaching competencies and thinking about competencies maybe um, is different from previous attempts, you know, other books that have tried to do competencies. It just feels really kind of um, natural and intuitive, you know, like you, you begin the book with a real focus on the the kind of the common factors of psychotherapy and what works in psychotherapy and then focusing on how to kind of, as you said, Laura, Laura, to operationalize those specific, the deep dive, you know, breaking down each aspect of what makes psychotherapy helpful. And yeah, I'm just wondering from your experience of maybe looking at other attempts at capturing competencies, how is this different or what was the hope that it would be different? Or was you hoping for it to be very different? I think that the major difference is that uh, um, the, 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 the competencies as usually are taught um, are a um, way of uh, doing. Okay? So they refer to what you do or what you should do, or what is better to do, or what could be helpful for the client to do, and so on. So, for example, you know, you teach how to start a conversation. Mm-hmm. You can teach what questions are good, uh, you know, for a, a, a creative kind of dialogue, and so on, and on, and on. We also have like uh, um, many possibilities uh, that uh, help us to understand the dynamics and the relationship, uh, you know, of the clients and so on. Okay. But uh, once we come to the competency, as we were saying, the relational competency, that is the ability to understand what we are constructing together the meanings that we are constructing together, which is a completely unpredictable process because it happens. So in order to maintain this perspective, it's not possible to say what to do. Mm-hmm. It's only what you should be able to recognize. So uh there is uh, like uh, in, in our idea is more like uh, what we can do is this is what could happen in terms of uh, uh, constructing of context of meaning. Let me give you an example. I might uh, conduct a therapy, like an individual therapy with someone who come came to me, you know, feeling very sad and depressed and so on. Then I help her and uh, by after some sessions, she says, you know, I'm feeling very well. Uh, thank you so much. You know, I'm so happy 
that I came and I'm so happy. I thank you. I'm grateful and everything. So you say, okay. So we can, you know, can stop here. And he says, oh, no, please don't. Don't leave me. <laughs> now, this, what is it? She's very happy. The client is very happy because uh, the therapy, the therapist was very effective in terms of meeting the problem, solving the problems. But then at the same time, doing that, a context, a relational context was constructed, was built, and it was a context of uh, dependence of the client on therapy. <laughs> so what is the result of the therapy? Is that the, the client is not depressed anymore or is that the client is now dependent on therapy? And what should the therapy think? What is it, the important aspect? What should the, the therapist at this point take care of? See, so what we say is uh, we have to become aware that uh, while doing things in order to help the client to solve the problem, we also, meanwhile, construct the relationships that could be evolutive, could be dependence, could be Others, Francesca, help me. Um, um, uh, you know, symmetric uh, or judging. Mm -hmm. Blameful. For example, you can help someone and uh, uh, constructing a poor identity of the person. You know, we know how, you know, helping people can be useful for the problem they have, but then can construct also an idea of self in terms of uh, being needy. Okay. So, okay, what we are saying is that we need to become, to develop, at least we try to do that with our students, to develop this uh, different perspective that is not only how can I help the client, but what do we do together? Because what we think that we do together then has an effect on the psychotherapeutic process. And I will, uh, will also like to say that in terms of differences between the other you know, approaches to competencies, I think that um, we try to you know, put together and find connections between all these different competencies. I would say that uh, um, the, the, the most common uh, competencies that you can find in literature, in papers, books, are the technical and the relational one. But very often the relational competency uh, is meant as therapeutic alliance. And that is a very important part of uh, relational competency, but it's not the only one. Relational competency in uh, the terms that uh, Laura was saying is something different from therapeutic alliance, but it's also very, very important. 
And so we try to, um, you know, deepen this uh, idea of relational competency and to, you know, differentiate between therapeutic alliance and these other things that in that is being able to, you know, understand the, the relational context that we are constructing while talking about different topics. And to connect, I was saying, also to connect these different competencies so uh, that sensitivity to context, for example, uh, in the case uh, where, the, where, where there is a professional uh, team that is working on the same situation, uh, it's, uh, I think it's a way to, uh, you know, um, taking into account different relational situation, different relational context and how they work together and what kind of meaning they are co-constructing, working on the same clinical situation. So I think that we also try to, you know, uh, find this connection to, um, to reflect on the different components of psychotherapeutic competencies. And I also want to make a comment about the, what we call the epistemological competency. We think that the epistemological competency is the ability of the therapy to be flexible, to take different perspectives, which is one of the characteristics of the effective psychotherapist. And But the point that we make is that, uh, you know, well, once you say that you should be able to take a different perspective, you know, this doesn't really, it's not something that comes easy in our Western world, where we base, uh, you know, all our culture on the idea that there is only one truth, okay? So this is, the first thing is, uh, you know, to be able to, to take multiple perspectives. But in order to take multiple perspectives, since we are not, you know, um, in our culture, we are not trained to that, we develop exercises. Uh, we develop exercises for the, the, the students to see how the same thing can be read in different ways. And uh, uh, in order for us uh, to be able to change whenever, as we say, we need it, and we need it every time that uh, something we, we feel there is no creativity anymore, ne no generativity during the psychotherapy. Like the idea that when we have the idea that, you know, nothing new is happening, same thing, you know, we have the feeling that we are not going anywhere and so on. And as we say to our clients, to our students, you know, that's the moment where either we blame the client or we blame ourselves, which, you know, neither one is useful for, for then regaining, you know, a generative perspective. So what we need to do is instead to, you know, reflect, reflect on our premises and see to take a different perspective. But again, we want to underline that uh, this is not something that is uh, a, the result of a goodwill hmm. because uh, it's, a, it's a matter of uh, how our epistemology is. And we have an epistemology which is uh, based on the idea that there is only one way to say things. 
So what we do is to develop exercise, like to, uh, you know, take, uh, uh, connect uh, opposite uh, positions uh, uh, as Bateson has taught us. I mean, we, we do not uh, this exercise just uh, on our own. We refer, for example, to Bateson, who has such a complex uh, way of thinking, which can be very helpful for th- psychotherapists uh, to uh, uh, train, you know, their way of seeing things in a multiple way. And uh, we do like, uh, we, we do a lot of the construction of uh, deconstruction of uh, the, the shared knowledge, the common sense, you know, what people just take as the truth. So we do a lot of deconstruction of this idea. For example, what's behind the idea of family? What's behind the idea of uh, uh, motherhood? All these ideas that we, of course, use being family therapist, you know. And we do a lot of that just to see how behind a definition or behind a linguistic term, you can have actually different ways of uh, uh, doing things. And we think this is helpful to develop a epistemological competency, which we, as I said, define in terms of being able to take multiple perspectives. Mm. What what really struck me in that chapter on the epistemological competencies was seeing kind of this position of self-reflexivity as an antidote to this idea that knowledge tends to be self-referential. Yeah. That that yeah. little bit really stuck with me, you know. And, we we actually talk about antidotes, you know, because that's what we need, because what comes natural, spontaneous. It's just to, you know, to be self-referential. Mm-hmm. You know, all the, the social psychology, as I said, you know, I, I kind of uh, acknowledge my academic part. All social psychology explained to us how we are conservative in our way of uh, approaching, you know, the reality. We tend to be conservative to explain things with uh, knowledge that we already have. So we are in that situation. So we need the antidotes uh, to this self-referentiality. And, and the self-referentiality is self-reflection, which we consider something that we do together. Um, that, you know. No, no, please, please. Say that, so in my kind of understanding of that, that epistemological competency was, it involves, I, thought I wrote down three things. So self-reflexivity, complex thinking and curiosity and decentering. And I, I was interested if you could maybe say a little bit more around in the complex thinking, you spoke about this deconstructing nat- naturalized belief systems mm-hmm. and maybe a bit about the process of that and the importance of that. Well, the, the term naturalized uh, belief system comes from uh, um, a social psychologist, uh, uh, Moscovici, was very important and he studied a lot, uh, you know, mentality, social representation and so on. And what he says is that at a certain point, uh, the beliefs uh, become naturalized in terms of that uh, they do not appear beliefs anymore. They are considered the reality. 
we do not realize that when we say something, we actually are talking of representations of, uh, and uh, we just think that things are like that, you know. And it is that which uh, uh, prevents uh, us uh, to change perspective because uh, we are into the naturalizations of our beliefs. We do not realize they are beliefs. So what we do with the students is to, first step is, this is just a belief. You know, uh, thinking that uh, mothers should keep their children with themselves and to take care of them, it's not reality, it's a belief, which is very important belief. It's very important for someone, but maybe it's not the only way to take care of children. So that's what we try to do, to realize that once we realize that all that we are saying are opinions and beliefs and way of describing things, so we can also find other ways of describing things. I would like to to specify something that I think it could be interesting that uh, we spoke about antidotes, you know, and antidotes are needed when one is poisoned. So I think that it is important to underline this because uh, we do not always have to question our premises or our beliefs. Uh, sometimes our beliefs work very fine in that kind of therapeutic context. Uh, so as we were saying before, we have to be able to recognize when these beliefs are not helping us to see in different things to create a generative context to help our clients. In that specific situation, we have to, uh, you know, being able to use our epistemological competency and so to take the antidote and to try to find something uh, different to change our perspective. I think it, it is important to underline this because otherwise it may seem that we have to do um, a lot of things all the time, but uh, sometimes, uh, you know, applying our technical competency is uh, sufficient to do an effective therapy. So uh, it, it is important to recognize when we have to implement something else mm -hmm. and being able to do it. Is this a yes, yeah. yeah, please. The ir irreverence. And yeah. the, is it? I, I, I'm, it's a good opportunity for me to check pronunciation here. But is it chicken? Chicken. 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 You're, you're, you're giving me advice when we have. You know, you know what? When you go to the hotel. <laughs> putting my way so they could correct both of us. No, no, but, but Julie, no, no, no. You have a good pronunciation, actually. Yeah. You say Laura very well. You say chicken very well. Yes. <laughs> like chicken. Chicken. Like chicken, like a, in the airport. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, I remember. I was doing a training with a friend the other day, and we were like, "How do you say the name?" We we don't, so I, I can now qualify that. <laughs> but yes, this idea of irreverence and um, the ability to change perspective, and I, 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 there's a quote, isn't there, about never marry your hypothesis? Yeah. Um, and how how important that is when working with a family where there's 
many different perspectives, many different ideas around an understanding or their meaning of what's happening in their reality and how as a as a therapist in that space feels like a real core aspect to really embody, you know, you know, not, not just perform, but really be that because it can be very difficult. Um and yeah, and 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 see uh, seeing it as something that you really need to train and and develop a, a skill around. Yeah, that's a good observation, you know, Cesar, that you made about, you know, especially with, uh, uh, I think, working with families, I, I, I have this idea that they help you to take this perspective because of what you said, you know, there you are and you have different explanations sometimes or the same thing. They have... Uh, different, uh, you know, feelings according to different events and so on. This is an experience for family therapists very, very often, you know, five people there, five ideas, five ways of explaining, mm-hmm. five, sometimes even five events, different events, you know, <laughs> different dates, you know, and so on. So I think that uh, they really train us uh, in this uh, because if we are not able to be flexible, to, to, to really believe that reality can be explained in a different way, and what you should do is not to look for who is right, but how this different perspective connects. This is very important. And be, be, for doing that, check-in, as he was, uh, you know, very creative, he he, rightly was talking of the condition for doing that. And the condition is the irreverence. That is, you have to be reverent with your own ideas. That, to me, to us, means that you have to be aware that uh, your ideas are just some ideas. Being irreverent means this, not to take ourselves too seriously. You know, uh, think that there is always another way of seeing things. You might not see it yet, but there is. And and I think that this is uh, exactly what uh, helps the epistemological competency, you know, to be implemented. Otherwise, you may start thinking that you know better than your clients what they have to do with their lives. And I think it's not useful. Uh, We think that it's not useful. We cannot help our clients by taking such a position. And I also think that uh, if you don't take this curiosity stance, you may um, come to... uh, you know, pretend, try to pretend to understand the, the other position, but it's not, uh, um, it's not useful. Uh, also, pretend to understand the other position. You have to find uh, a meaning. You have to to be curious about the meaning of that position in that context, in that conversation, in that family. Thank you. For example, this, excuse me, this I think is important with respect to the technique, 
That's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> about feedback. We, we are connected to that. <laughs> you were going there. We are connected for sure. <laughs> Please carry on. <laughs> I was th- thinking that if you are too sure that your techniques are good, you might not uh, to be able to see the point of view of your client. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think that technique can sometimes, if used as the only reference, can become uh, an oppressive way of, you know, we do, we have some examples in the book uh, that we make of how, and we actually write that uh, sometimes, for example, being systemic, we, if even if we are systemic, and because we are systemic, we might uh, accept uh, to give uh, advices, even if we know that uh, you know it's not the advices uh, uh, something that can help people to change. Because, but if the client expect the therapist to give advices insisting not responding to this need it's like denying the point of view of the client as if you said no 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 that is not the right way of seeing things um advices are not useful but this is exactly when you decide that your point of view is the only true and would you say, Laura, with that, that Lara? I'm so English with my my pronunciation. I'm gonna. I, I was actually. I'll, I'll save my other question for the end. I was wondering what it's like for you because you're speaking English here, and I'm assuming that normally when you communicate, you speak Italian. Yeah. Uh, I thank you for for going on this journey with us, and I'm trying to be Italian and say Lara. So that's my offering. Julie. Julie, when I was uh, in high school student I I spent a year in uh, the United States Mm -hmm. as an exchange student and there for a year I heard people calling myself and I used to call myself Laura Frugheri (laughs) (laughs) so so I know (laughs) it's so easy but I I've got to go I've got to hold on to my thought well maybe yeah There's, yeah, we're, we're, I won't try and make a clever connection. I suppose what I'm, what I was to go back, you know, the epistemological, I hope I've said that right, and the technical, where I'm thinking the intersect with what you're talking is feedback in some yeah. way. So I wanted, I'd love to hear you speak a little bit to that. Yeah. Yes, I think that uh, the the epistemological competency puts you back into a a generative position. Mm -hmm. But then, of course, uh, you know, you then rely again on your technical competency. We we think that, uh, Francesca was saying that before, you know, they are connected. We think that the second order competency, epistemological competency, relational competency, and the sensitivity to context, they are competency that put you back 
in a generative position when you lose it. But once you are into a generative position, you again rely on your technical competency. You know, so again, you know, they, they, it's only the, the relational competency and the, the epistemological competency and sensitivity to context only help you to see things in a different way, which then helps you to become generative again with the use of the techniques that you have learned. It's the, the it, it's when you think that the, everything depends on the technique that you lose the generative position. And so you need to regain it in a way. And once you are there, uh, for example, once you understand that what you build together, just to follow the, 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 the example I was making before, once you, you realize that there is a dependence of your client on the therapy, then what you do is going back, for example, to our competence in terms of question, future question, um, uh, like uh, uh, wonder about the future, what uh, uh, ask what the effect of continuing the therapy could be on uh, the client's context. So you go back to use uh, what uh, you know in terms of uh, techniques. But the point is that the second order competencies help you to maintain the position where the technique is useful. Mm -hmm. I like to explain things by using metaphor. It's uh, something that I, I like to do. And I would say that this kind of connection between technical competency and epistemological competency, I know it is like driving driving a car. You know, you need a technical competency to drive a car, but you also need to know where to go. And you may find that that road is closed or that uh, road does not uh, lead uh, to the point you want to go and you have to find another map. And so epistemological competency is finding another map, but uh, to go to another point of the map, you also have to go back to your technical competency, so right. turn off the engine of the car and drive to the other point. So I think it, this is the kind of you, you intersection use, between... You, Francesca, used also the other, that I like, the other metaphor of the dance. Yes. But you, you will remember all my metaphor, but I <laughs> so please tell the metaphor of the dance. Because no, when you were saying that, you know, when you dance, you have to coordinate. Yes. But you have to need the step to know the step. Yes. Well, but you need to coordinate and you need to be ready to the what what, what happened because you cannot decide what your partner does. Yes. So you were exactly showing how in a dance there are all these competencies. Multiple competencies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, to follow on from the driving metaphor, it's making me think about the stories that you... I've seen in newspaper like funny stories or when people are using their satellite navigation system mm -hmm. and it maybe it hasn't updated. So people are driving and following the navigation and they end up in like the river or something. And so technically they know where what they're doing, but they haven't used their 
I would say that 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 is manualization. Yeah, and that he says that is interesting because you said they're using an instrument, you know, they they're using a technique. So actually, the point is exactly, or they're using a map also. That is the point. You need another map, though, mm-hmm. in order to be able to and the flexibility. Yeah. And could I could I move us along to be thinking a little bit more about the the relational competency? And we've spoken a bit about the therapeutic alliance within that. Um, but I'm interested in the other aspect that you highlight, the kind of the construction of transformative interactive context. So this kind of joint construction process in therapy and that being as a kind of a core competency in systemic yeah. practice. Yeah. Well, everything, you know, is. Uh, do you know the... Uh, we, we start from this idea that uh, that uh, you know actions are context uh, shaped, but they also uh, are context renewing. That is, they also construct uh, new context of meanings. So uh, this is the idea of uh, our way of uh, uh, describing the relational competency. What uh, um, is it? Are we able to understand the meanings that we construct in order to take a position within the interaction in a way that these meanings are evolutive and transformative? For example, let's maintain the example I did. If I realize that the client is now dependent on the relationship, on the therapy. What position do I take in order to make this dependency evolutive instead of uh, um, uh, uh, not evolutive? You see, if I realize that uh, uh, the client um or if uh, that they, we construct uh, like an idea of uh, um incompetence mm? because we we work a lot on these ideas of dependency and on the idea that in a helping uh relationship uh, the risk for the people being helped to develop a sense of self, of uh, in, an incompetent sense of self, is like uh, uh, there, you know. So once we realize that, what do we do? Um, the example that we uh, wrote in the book is an example of how sometimes the conversation about relationship may make people feel uh, incompetent. So, you know, like talking, like parents, parents, when you talk about relationship, how do they spend time with their children? What do they do with their children? Sometimes they hear all this in terms of, are you a good parent? So this, we need to realize that even if you keep talking like in a relational way, in a circular way, is not the way you talk, is what 
the context of talking about the relationship that may feel the the patient the the client incompetent as a, a father for example so in that case what we say is that we need to change context of conversation if i maintain the position of uh, uh, talking about relationships this position contribute to construct a context within which the client feels incompetent so what i need to do is to change context of conversation let's not take talk about the relationship anymore let's talk about uh, what do they think uh, is uh, the son feeling or what do they think uh, if they think that the son has a problem you know what i mean or sometimes is vice versa talking about problems make people believe that they are you know wrong so we need to change but i am saying this because the example we are giving is exactly that for example I have this idea as systemic therapist uh, that we shouldn't talk about problems too much you know we shouldn't talk about symptoms we shouldn't talk about food with anorectic girls we shouldn't talk because the more you talk about that you more you make that uh, you know become real okay but this is exactly this is technique because sometimes we have to consider the possibility instead that since we are not unidirectionally controlling the meanings because meanings are co-constructed i have to consider the possibility sometimes that talking about symptoms is useful instead it's not useful to talk about relationship and i have as we go back to recognize when is one and when is the other but i can only do it while happening well it's um, become so, self referential don't we of our own theories in as systemic yeah exactly Sorry, Francesca. Yes. Uh, so there, you you were mentioning therapeutic alliance uh, in your question, and I want to, uh, you know, point out the difference between relational competency and therapeutic alliance. You know, relational competency in these terms, um, because uh, um, you can establish a good therapeutic relationship, which is therapeutic alliance, a good therapeutic alliance. Uh, but also create uh, co-create meanings that are not useful to evolve to uh, you know help clients. Um, let's take the example of the parents uh, maybe feel uh, incompetent while talking about their difficulties. You know there can be engagement, safety, emotional connection. Uh, therapists and clients can agree on the therapeutic uh, aim, but Uh, and this is a good therapeutic alliance, but uh, it's not sufficient because um, if you start talking about, uh, you know, their ability as parents, which is the topic 
of, of the therapy session and they agreed that we should should talk about that thing but you you feel that you are you know co-constructing uh, uh you know incompetence uh, then you you have to change the focus of your conversation and the ability to recognize that uh, that context of meaning is creating um an involutive context uh, that is the relational competency Thank you for the distinction. I think, yeah, that some something that I'm getting from this conversation actually is um in thinking about the competencies in this way, there's a diff there's a focus or, or a shifting focus actually in terms of thinking um on the, the usefulness of the therapy to really get the change for the clients that you're working with and for us to really be asking ourselves those questions are are we doing this yeah, um, yeah. i think that usefulness is a word that uh, we we use very frequently also with our students because uh you know it's part of that uh, irreverence we were talking before mm -hmm. Is the idea that you don't have to believe that uh, that kind of technique will be uh, powerful uh, in every situation. You have to be uh, able to change. And why you have to change? Because it's not useful. I think that is the main criterion to, to decide whether you can uh, stay on that road or you have to change. And, and and also we think that usefulness is linked to the idea that people become uh, independent from therapy. So it's not enough, you know, that they are not depressed anymore, that they don't have the anxiety anymore and so on. They have to be able, the, the, the outcome of the therapy is that they are able to think of themselves as being able to take charge of their own life. And so this is something that you, you know, join more at the relational level than at the technique level, I think. Because you, you don't only solve problems, you construct positive identities. And positive identities are the result of uh, negotiation, of inter uh interactions I, I i guess i want to move on to the to the fourth yeah um, competency the kind of the sensitivity to context and the kind of focus on social dimensions yeah um and that that is a fascinating chapter and when people ask me well what is systemic you know like that that kind of dreaded question that I'm like, how am I going to kind of sum up this massive, <laughs> yeah. you know, um, but it's context, which is kind of my beginning part really with people. Um, but you really dive into different aspects of it. And yeah, maybe we can just spend a bit of time thinking about the different aspects that you talk about the, the social context and this idea of therapy being beyond just what takes place in the therapy room. Yeah. Yeah. And and beyond means uh, social level, you know, cultural, social level. But beyond means also 
what the context that is part of the client's life. You know, so uh, when we say outside of therapy is thinking that uh, our action, you know, will have a, a an effect, a reverberation, you know, on the client's life, which we do not control. Because, uh, you know, w- the meaning that what we do with our clients will uh, will appear, will raise within the relationship that a client has with other um, with other significant ones. That is why I think uh, we need to keep in mind always the context, even individual therapy, the context uh, of uh, uh, the relationship of the client. That is the way I agree with you. This is the central idea of the systemic approach. So you can even work with individuals, but you still think of systems and of the effect that that your action with the client can have on the entire system. Then there is the other aspect that is, uh, you know, the social level, you know, how we are not just uh, persons, we are, uh, you know, the expect we have a position in the in the in society, and uh, we take it with us. But also, clients have a position in society, and uh, uh, I mean, this is a complex uh, uh, topic, I think, because there are many different ways of seeing it. One is the position that people have in society. The other is how uh, they they share knowledge, the social knowledge can affect people in, uh, you know, trying to find solution to their problems, which start from premises that are not uh, helpful somehow. So there are so different uh, aspects in it both the idea of the social knowledge, but also, and so the shared knowledge somehow, and how this effect, you know, how the prejudice can affect. We are very interested not only on the prejudice that someone can have towards someone else, but we are interested on the effect of the internalized uh, prejudice. You know, of the people being object of prejudice who share the same prejudice. What's this effect, you know, uh, on, on their well-being or on their distress as well? So I think that a therapy should be able to work at that level as well, you know. I think that a key notion for context sensitivity is the notion of multi-process analysis. Because multi-process analysis implies the ability to consider the interconnection between, of course, multiple levels, which are the individual, the interpersonal, and the social level. And so if you you take this uh, uh, multi-process analysis as a methodology, uh, every time you see something at, you know, at individual level, you have to ask yourself uh, and how is this connected with the interpersonal level and the social level and uh, so you you find different answers 
So you may you may find out that you don't have to focus on the, uh, you know um, emotions or individual abilities, but you may focus on social inequalities in order to develop uh, individual and interpersonal abilities. So it's taking a different perspective and multi-process analysis. I think that it opens up this different levels of investigations. Yes, Which has, it, it has to do with, again, the perspective you take, you know. You can see, again, the same phenomenon can be seen from the individual level, from the interpersonal and from the social. You need to uh, in, identify which is the more effective in order for the person to, you know, regain a sense of uh, uh, competence and uh, agency somehow and and the other aspect of that i think is chapter nine where you talk about constructing networks and the competencies around that you know the kind of like working with multi-professionals and how systemic ideas can be really helpful in in working with different professionals and interagencies I think that the, the, the main notion, uh, systemic notion that can be helpful in, in working with uh, multi-professional context is the idea that the different, uh, you know, clinical settings uh, or, uh, you know, clinical settings cannot be just a just put together, but they have to, uh, you know, connect each other. So um, the different uh, professionals have to uh, try to find out what, what can be a um, therapeutic plan, a common therapeutic plan. And they have to develop a different, uh, uh, you know, position to take care of the clinical situation from different perspectives, which are all connected. So I think that systemic uh, perspective is very helpful in doing so. And uh, this, I think, is the, the main idea of working in networks from a systemic perspective. The, the, the idea, you know, that a system is a, an interconnection of parts we apply that to the uh, multi-professional uh, intervention. Uh, instead of thinking that each intervention, each professional is doing a therapy, we invite therapists to think that they are doing a part of the therapy, which mm-hmm. comes from the interconnection of all the parts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, not a sum of parts, but an interconnection, typical systemic notion. It, it's making me make connections to Imelda McCarthy's Fifth Province. And I know she she writes, she wrote the forward, didn't she? Yeah, 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 yeah. yes, yes. No, I think, I mean, Lara, Francesca, we could, I'm sure, carry on this conversation, but I know that we're coming to an end for for now but there is always the book to go and <laughs> people to go and read more and get even further um connected with everything that you have shared today and more um but we like to end our episodes with just asking people yeah what their sort of future hopes are and what your hopes are yeah for 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 the book really um and for these competencies going forward 
Well, on one side, we we hope that uh, the book help help uh, people uh, in therapists in general, but not only therapists. Mm-hmm. I think that this idea can be helpful for working in education, in uh, social <clears throat> uh, working, but even in the uh, medical, you know, care. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I mean, all the helping profession deal with uh, uh, relationship and interaction. There's no help which doesn't occur in in interaction. And so we think that pointing out this aspect is what uh, makes uh, then uh, a need of having the right competency to address it. That's what uh, we think. So we think that this can be helpful for therapists, but also for others. And we are also working on the creation of uh, an assessment uh, questionnaire for uh, competencies. So I, we think that this will, will be also very useful for um, students but also for the professional in order to monitor their, uh, you know, struggles within the clinical situations and to find out where they can focus their attention to, to find uh, different ideas or positions. You know, we, we wrote a lot of examples in the book in order to help people to understand what we mean by these new competencies that are sometimes implicit in trainings. They are not made, you know, them explicit. We would like also, is this is what we would like, that uh, this level of competency, the second order competency, should be make, made more explicit in the training. And uh, this that uh, Francesca was saying, to prepare this um, assessment uh, tool, can, uh, yes, be useful in terms of evaluating and so on and all the problem of evaluating, you know, our interventions, but can be also something that can help people to self-monitor themselves with respect to this, uh, uh, you know, perspective, which is a more process, systemic-like kind of perspective applied to the therapeutic process. Thank you so much. Thank you. Really, really beautiful exploration. And what what struck me really is um, how how simple these ideas are and how how simply you kind of presented them, but the depth and complexity within the simplicity of them has made it a really rich resource. And yeah, I, I... genuinely can't wait to grapple with these ideas in various ways in my my practice so it's a massive massive thank you for the book and thank you for joining us thank you thank you very much organizing this event thank you very much thank you take care i hope you have a a good weekend i know lara you need to to go off but i don't know if just really briefly what we hope we had the right conversation how was this conversation for you very interesting. Yeah. Actually, I have to say that uh, exactly, you could stay here for hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really hours. I mean, you really went into the book, you know, and uh, uh, I, I, I have to say that I had this sense of saying, 
oh, we should talk longer because, you know, you really got the, the most important point of it. And uh, as you said, you know, the, the problem is we need to make complexity simple in order for people to understand it. But at the same time, we wondered, are we making it too simple? You know, are we somehow losing the complexity of it? You know, so that's why we give so many examples so that people can see how, you know, behind complexity, there are actions that produce, you know, processes. So actually, yes, the, my feeling during our conversation was, mm, we only have one hour and a half. I wish we had more time. <laughs> You're always welcome to come back. And that is a genuine invite. About you, how was it for you? Yeah, it was a wonderful conversation. I enjoyed it very much. And well, it was also funny and deep and very spontaneous. So I think it was perfect. Okay. Well, thank you so much. And please stay tuned our, well, our best to Eleanor as well. Stay in contact, and when it feels right to continue and resume, we would love to to, to speak with you again. Oh, we will really too. Yeah, we so. too. Okay. Yes. Thank you so much. Have a nice weekend too. You too. too. Thank you. Have Thank a nice you weekend. Bye. 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 Ciao, Francesca. Ciao. <laughs>